Glad you're at Waypoint this morning. My name is Blair, and I do some of the teaching around here. We're starting a new series today, uh, and although it's a new year, I do not have a new brain, which means I gave our slide guy the slides in the order that I would do them today, and then in first service, I did them in any order I wanted to, and he was trying to figure out where I was going, if I would go back, all of that sort of thing. The same thing could happen here. I don't know what happened. So uh, just hold on. It'll be fun. One of us had fun. I did. He was trying to figure out where in the world everything was going on. So if things don't sync up, don't look back at him. Just go, we know what's happening. It's the old guy. Uh, I've wanted to talk about this for a little while. This is the earliest opening for this topic. And I'm excited to do it. We're going to start in the scriptures because what I want to do is I want to try to show you that the thing that's giving us difficulty right now in our lives is a problem that's been around for thousands of years. Does anybody hear that? Does anybody know what that is? Does anybody want to try to figure out? That is going to be like a bird all day. I'm going to be talking and going... No ideas? All right. We're just going to, wow. You know what we're going to talk about today? If you can pull it off, that's great. Um, I want to prove to you that this is, this is a thing that's been going on for thousands of years. Um, so we're going to go into the text. I, I think sometimes what happens is we think our culture is so different. It's so unique that um, what we have going on nobody else has faced before. And partly the makeup of our culture is different. The stuff that you're facing, people in history have never faced before, but old things remake themselves in new things all the time. And I'm convinced that what I want to talk to you about through this next four weeks, this is an ancient problem that we're going to have to find a way to wrestle with. So if you have your Bibles, if you have an app on your phone, go to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to go to verse 38. We're going to pick up a story there that I think is going to help us with how we live today. It starts in uh, 1038. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She's being very hospitable. This was the culture of the day, you did that sort of thing, you would invite some strangers in. This is a big group. And uh, many of you probably have had this experience in the last month. You went somewhere where there was some hospitality being presented. There was probably a large meal, you had uh, conversations, you had a nice time with each other, maybe you played games, that sort of thing. So you're used to that. Um, You're also used to the flip side of that. If you were the one who's hosting at, or if you've ever hosted something like this, you know that before the guests arrive, there is a long list of things that must be done. Cleaning, beds, buying food, shopping for other things, like all kinds of, like you got to plan for boredom in case somebody gets bored, worst thing that could happen in the world. So you got to do all of that kind of stuff, right? And you do that, by basically somebody kind of taking charge. Somebody in the house has a burden for all of that stuff. In my house, that's Tracy. So she has the burden for all of that, and then she shares that burden 
by giving out assignments to the rest of us to get stuff done. That's how it works, right? Is that, that's how it works with everybody, I'm assuming. If not, I'd like to know so that if I'm doing too much, I can have a conversation with her about it, right? Yeah, it's probably not going to happen. Martha does this without any of the stuff being pre-done. She invites Jesus and his whole entourage, we're not really sure how many were traveling, at least 12, all to her house. And now, after they arrive, the preparations begin. So, so get an understanding of what's happening here. It's actually worse than that. Verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Jesus is teaching in her house, which means there are going to be people who are coming to hear that teaching, and it's going to get crazy. Because this is an ancient culture that valued hospitality, uh, the burden of this was not all on Martha. She carried the burden, but the whole community would have felt a need to help her. If, the, if Jesus and the disciples had a bad experience, it would be a mark against the whole town, not just her. So they would have been bringing food to her. They would have been bringing extra wine to her. They would have been bringing all kinds of, the place is a circus. Jesus is teaching, all this is going on. And the one person that she could have expected to help her, because the community is, they're pitching in, I guarantee it. And the one person who should have been her sister isn't. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And this is not taken very well. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had, that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Woo. She's um, feeling it here. Now, there's a key word in this verse that we're going to come back to that's going to have a lot to do with this whole series. But I want to finish the story and, and help you understand that for Martha, the things that she was upset about were legitimate things. How exactly was she going to feed all of these people? Nothing had been clean before they showed up. Where, was she, where were they going to all sleep? All of these things are happening and she is feeling a deep burden for this. And the burden should have been carried by Mary too. It's not being carried by Mary. So she decides to spread the burden to Jesus. And she talks to Jesus like, you should be more sensitive to this. When you brought your crew over here, you knew that it was going to be a ton of work. And you know the expectation is that my sister who's sitting at your feet should be helping and she's not. So why don't you care about this injustice to me? Why don't you tell her to do what's expected of her? Talking pretty sharply to him. Jesus responds. Verse 41. Martha, Martha. I think a lot of people have read these words as condescending. Martha, Martha, no. Imagine him holding her hand and just, Martha, Martha. He's trying to calm her spirit. He is talking to her in a tone of voice that she has not been using with him. Martha, Martha, 
You are worried and upset about many things. See, Jesus knows. It's a circus around him, but he's very well aware of everything that's going on. And he understands the stress that she's under. He understands all the stuff that has to be done and prepped. But he doesn't stop there. He understands her long list of things to be concerned about. But he says in verse 42, But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Martha, when it comes to you setting priorities in this moment, you've missed the mark. There was only really one thing that mattered when I came to your house. That's that you and I could connect in a meaningful way. All this other stuff, yeah, I get that it's important. It will get done in time. But so far, you haven't connected with me at all because you've been worried and upset and running around. And your sister Mary, he says this about her. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. I'm not sending her out to do the chores right now. She chose the one thing that mattered more and that was to connect with me. And the question is, what happened to Martha that allowed her priorities to be skewed so badly that she missed an opportunity to connect with Jesus? And I think it's on one word. There's one word that ought to jump out of verse 40. I want to go back there and pull that out. It's the word distracted. Martha was distracted. She saw all that had to be done and felt the pressure to do it now. Now here's the problem. If her distraction resulted in her missing a connection with Jesus, we've got some issues. Because distraction has become a normal part of our lives in this culture. Accepted, embraced. There's a couple ways we do this. Um, we're going to talk about one of them today specifically, but one of the ways we do this is to be busy. I mean, we stack up and rack up stuff in our lives all the time. We go at a pace that feels like we're stressed out and unhealthy, and often we're doing a lot of valuable things. They're good things that we're doing. But we're so busy that we're distracted. It's on to the next thing. It's what's next on my calendar. It's the sense of what I'm going to miss this if I'm not paying attention. But there's another thing that's happening in our culture too. And that's our attention is being distracted on a regular basis. And what's odd about it is um, this is a problem with our human nature. Like we, we tend to be a distracted kind of being. And people have figured out that they can, they can distract you and gain your attention for profit. And it's become a problem. And most of us are cooperating with it. This is the culture that we now live in. Busy, grabbing at our attention. And here's the thing. It's our responsibility to figure out some way to live in the culture that we've been planted in in a way that honors God. 
That's, that's our job. And some people might say, that's what we're doing. We're here right today, right now. We're doing that. And I would tell you, one hour of your time is not enough attention for you to have the kind of relationship with God that he desires with you. It's not enough. And if the rest of your time is filled with that stress and pressure and you're constantly distracted, it's going to lead to serious problems. So you feel like some of the stuff you're up against is unique. The things that you're facing, the things you have to do. But I want to suggest to you that this issue has been around for thousands of thousands of years and we haven't solved it because it's human nature. It's who we are. And so instead, um, our culture has almost made it like badges of honor to do things that are harmful to us. I, don't, I, don't, I can't figure it out exactly why. I talk to so many people who tell me how busy they are with a tone in their voice that it sounds like it's a badge of honor that they're doing this. I am so stressed at work. It's pretty cool. And then I stack stuff up when I get home. And then I do this. And then I do this. And their lives are jam-packed from start to finish with no room to breathe. And I wonder why. Why is that a badge of honor for people? Do you believe your value and worth come from that? Do you believe that that's what you have to do in order to be happy? Or are you just nervous, like scared? That somebody might come to you and accuse you of being lazy if you don't have the same pace of life that they do. So we stress ourselves out. Our kids are stressed out. Our families are stressed out. It's showing up everywhere. But the one, I, the one area I want to talk about today is an area where we're choosing. We're choosing to cooperate with people who are attempting to rob our attention, to take away our ability to know what's going on. And this fracturing of our ability to pay attention is caused problems. And I want to tell you where it's happening. You already know this. You're going to have a hard time arguing with me, but I want to explain it even deeper. But you understand, right, that all of the screens, the phone that you have, the social media are all combining together to, to appeal for your time and attention. And if it can distract you, it will. And I just want to remind you why we're talking about this. Because it has the same outcome that it will have in Martha's life. It will distract you so much that you'll miss out on connecting with Jesus. I'm convinced of that. Some of the um, men of God that I deeply respect have written about distraction in a way that, I, that boggled my mind, suggesting that it may be the one thing that keeps us from honoring God in the way we live our lives right now. How, how could that be? Because we're fractured. We give away our attention and we're so distracted that God never gets it. 
Now, I want, I want to explain to you what I think is happening because I, I'm going to ask you to make some bold changes in the next three weeks. And I'm saying that that way because I've started to try to make some of them. They're difficult. They're hard. Because this is an ancient problem, there's also some ancient solutions. They're just difficult. But you have to be motivated enough to want to desire to find a way to do these things. And I think if you understood what was happening with our attention in our culture right now, it might be a motivating factor. So let me tell you about it. And I'm going to start in a weird way, but just hang with me. It will make sense eventually. Okay? Do you realize that casinos make more money off of their slot machines than pro baseball and the film industry combined? They make billions. How is that? Off of penny, nickel, dimes, quarters. Now listen, there are dollar, five dollar, twenty dollar, and hundred dollar, but people are not dropping loads of money in those. They're spending most of their time on these small ones. Well, here's what they've discovered. There's two things that they need in order to make a lot of money off of those slot machines. They need you to believe that that's an inconsequential amount of money that you're dropping into that machine. It's no big deal. In it goes. Who cares? And they've got to keep you either coming back or on it for a long period of time. So what they've done is they went out and they hired some people that they call attention engineers. Their goal is to study this thing that we have in us to be distracted, this thing that we have in us that has a hard time paying attention and being focused. And they find a way to program that into the into the games so that they're giving out payoffs enough and often enough and in a way that you feel like you're getting somewhere and this is exciting and you stay addicted to the game. The whole goal is to allow you to stay there as long as you want, dropping little insurmountable amounts of money that add up for billions of dollars for them in the end. Here's what you should know. The tech companies who make all of these devices, the apps, the applications, all of these things that you now use, have gone out and hired these attention engineers away from the casinos. They are now doing, designing for them in order to keep you engaged with their stuff. Here's the goal. It's really simple. You thought they were giving you a tool in your hand that would help you. Their goal is to either find a way to take large chunks of your time and attention or to, or to cause you to give insignificant, seemingly insignificant amounts of time over and over and over until it can add up to something worthwhile for them. Why are they doing this? Well, one big reason. They are selling your attention to advertisers. They're selling your attention. They have gone out and figured out a way that if we can keep your eyeballs on these things that we're supplying for you, we can sell you. 
How, you know this is happening. I know you know this is happening. How many of you have done a search for something and the next five weeks you get ads for it in your phone or on your webpage? All of you, all of you. I was talking to some guys at a men's breakfast I go to six weeks ago. They swear this happened and I believe them, they're good guys. They said they were talking at home one night with their spouse about an, about an item that they were thinking about buying. They never did a search on it. And both of them said the next day they started getting ads on it. And they believed that that microphone picked up what they said and started feeding it to them. They are collecting, tracking, watching, knowing what you're doing because they are selling your information to people. You, you want to know the truth? Here's the truth. You are the product. You're the product. And the longer that they can keep you engaged, distracted, the better off they are. And they actually know what it's doing to you. They know what it's doing to all of us. They have the research. How do I know that? Well, just in case you think I'm up here making stuff up and being crazy, I had, I've got some research to back me up. I want you to understand this is what we're up against. Your attention is being sold off, studied, dissected, so that they can keep you distracted and sell you. Let's start with um, Tristan, Tristan Harris. Worked in Silicon Valley. For a long time, they called him the consciousness of the industry. He would try to help them um, figure out when the, where the boundaries were being crossed. He got so frustrated with the whole thing, he left. He started a not-for-profit that has this goal in mind, this one goal in mind. He is trying to get software developers to sign on to a Hippocratic oath, a pledge that says we will not program anything that intentionally intends to distract and addict people. Why do you have to get somebody to sign up for that? Because the whole industry is built on it right now. And he's trying to get them to think differently about how they would use their skills and tools in the world. What about um, Sean Parker? First president of Facebook. Has now become a conscientious objector. He doesn't have a Facebook page, by the way. He has no social media page. And the reason he has made this choice, and it's very public, is because he was in planning meetings where the main objective was discussed. And these are his words, not mine. This is the objective that he said of that meeting was. How do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? That's what they were trying to accomplish. He got so uncomfortable with it that he resigned from the company and stopped using the products together and talks to people about, you should be careful. Listen, I'm, I'm not going to come over the next four weeks and ask you to be a conscientious objector. I'm not going to ask you to give up this stuff. But I do think it's wise for you to know exactly what's going on and what their intentions are so that your boundaries make sense because you're going to have to have some. They're not going to supply the boundaries for you. They do not care about you. They know the research. It's all out there. It's not good. It's not positive. And yet, they keep producing this stuff. Why? 
because it's how they make money. They keep you distracted, they keep your attention frayed, and they make loads of money off the process. Now, this next thing I'm, I'm going to share you, when I first heard it, I thought, this is baloney. It's got to just be gossip. And as I dug into it, I, I'll give you some news sources that you could go and find this from right now. They're going to be right over here. There's five news sources. That's just the tip of the iceberg. The, the YouTube videos are actually long videos of the schools that I'm about to describe. Silicon Valley tech gurus, these people who are making lots of money off the technology that they sell to you, are sending their kids to technology-free schools. And, these, and this is hardcore stuff. You have to sign an agreement that if your kid is eighth grade and below, they will not have any screen activity at home or at school. None. It may be an occasional movie with the family. That's it. They're not allowed to have a cell phone, not allowed to have a laptop, not allowed to have an iPad, not allowed to have any of it. When you get into ninth grade, you're allowed to have a cell phone at the school, but you can only turn it on at breaks, and there are limits to what you can do outside of that classroom as well, even in high school. And they're flooded with kids. Do you know why? Because they don't want their kids consuming the product that they're making for your kids. They know the effects. I watched the video of the one of the schools and they said they have measurable differences in these things. They know they can accomplish this. And all, I'm going I'm to give you this list. All of these are things that if you went and talked to a teacher right now, they would tell you every one of these things is in jeopardy. Not going well. With kids. Increased relational capacity. They know how to make relationships, talk with people, engage with people. No problem. They have more and better critical thinking. And they have the ability to have focused attention. The most recent study on this suggests that the attention span of a normal person in America right now is eight seconds. It's down from 12. It's not like we were working with a lot. But still, that's not good. And yet what these guys have found is if you can get rid of all of that stuff, you can allow somebody to be focused on something for a long period of time. It's pretty incredible what they can create and make. And they want their kids to be the ones who make the stuff that everybody else uses in the future, not use it. There's got to be some boundaries. Um, Van, I'm getting ready to close. If you would make your way up here. The reason this is so um, difficult, there's a lady named Linda Stone. She's an um, ex-employee of Microsoft. She, uh, she saw all the research, and she coined a phrase that she's using now to describe our whole culture. And she says, our culture is dealing with continuous partial Oh, attention, continuous partial attention. And we kind of know that's true. I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want you to admit this. I just want you to 
evaluate what you do. How many of you would say that you watch TV and use your cell phone at the same time? How many of you do homework or work for your job and you're on your cell phone at the same time? How many of you have a laptop and a television on at the same time? What's happened is that we are so fragmented in our ability to pay attention to anything that it's starting to have horrible results. I told you over and over that they're not good. Their measurable results are happening with suicide, isolation, depression, anxiety, all of them measurable. They all know it. They don't care. That's how they're making their money. They're going to keep doing it. And so she's, she's touring the country now trying to help people understand how dangerous this fractured sense of attention is. And it's bad, but I want to tell you it's worse for those of us who love Jesus. There's a poet uh, named Mary Oliver who made a um, statement about attention. I love it. I want to get it right. Um, she said, attention is the beginning of of devotion. The scriptures say knowledge is the beginning of wisdom, but if you can't pay attention to the knowledge, how are you going to get wisdom? And right now we are so fractured, we are pulling a Martha with our lives. There are so many things that we give our attention to that split and fracture us that Jesus never gets any kind of amount of time. Or if he does, he gets it while we're doing something else because we can only give partial focus. Something is going to have to adjust and change. This ancient problem has to be met head on or we will be be suffering the same consequences of Martha. We'll be snipping at Jesus about what he's doing or not doing in our lives and we'll miss the one thing that was important. It was knowing him, engaging with him, being changed by him. See, I believe that's the goal. I, I think that's why you're here is that you have this desire deep down inside of you to one day be like Jesus. And so you keep making adjustments, you keep making choices in your life so that that will be reflected in who you are. I just want to warn you that our culture is set up to prevent that from happening unless you make different choices. It won't. Uh, the band's going to play a song about this desire to be like Jesus. And I hope as you hear it, as you eventually stand and sing along with them, that that desire will motivate you to consider what's going on in your life. And I hope that's what you'll do the next week. I'll hope you pay attention to what you're doing with your attention. Where is it going is it fractured all the time? Is there any kind of focused moments? Does Jesus get any of it? And then we're going to start talking about some solutions next week. I hope you'll evaluate. Check this out.